going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour on this Manic Monday. Wish it was still Sunday, I really do. And I'm not just quoting the song. Joining me this evening is Troy. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, bud. Did you remix this? No, this is a new thing. I've heard this chord progression before. I made, yes. This is a song that goes all the way back to our college days, and I recut it to be a little more... uh, Upbeat? Yeah, and less distorted guitar or whatnot. Trying to come up with lyrics. And then add a little bit of some oscillators and an electric keyboard on this turnaround right here coming up. I think they're like right here. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe this, this is what I do on Saturdays and Sundays. Just have fun. That's a Fruciano. That's well, thank you. And then drop out the snare here. Anybody want to be a maraca player? So, where to begin? You just showed me a video, and I think that's where we should begin. Because the top headline on the Drudge Report is, um, well, China is warning Beijing. The government in Beijing is warning Hong Kong. Hong Kong, Hong Kong airports grind to a halt. And the government in Beijing is likening the protests to terrorism. Yeah, they're, they're already trying to justify bloodshed. And describe to folks out there the video you showed me. It's only 12 seconds long. Uh, it takes place in Shenzhen, which is right across the border in China. Right across the border from Hong Kong, that is. And it's a bunch of military vehicles with tarps over them. Mm. So doing some more research into it, it turns out What's underneath the tarps is absolutely nothing. Oh, really? They're empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for the cages. Oh, so they're going to collect people. Perhaps. Yeah. I think there's going to be a big roundup and crackdown, which is a shame. Hong Kong is not only a, a, a sort of a British common law heritage success story, a capitalist free market success story, over the last 50, 60 years, it's been an example of when you have a small entity, even if it's under the umbrella of, say, China or whatever, it's been somewhat semi-autonomous for a while. And it's been incredibly successful because of that. It's not a perfect place to live, but it's, I mean, again, a huge prosperity success story. And I watched, uh, I could probably pull up the end of it. You know, the Oxford Union, they still do these things in Britain. Where, like, you'll see modern-day politicians go to the Oxford Union and have these just raucous debates and 
even crowd members in the middle of some guy's like speech can go point of information and they have to they'll defer their time for a second to listen to a question and it's it's good old fashioned British fun like they keep the it's feisty but the formalism of it right. keeps them in bounds and it was a guy named Daniel Hannon and the proposition is that socialism something about socialism and he was against socialism essentially saying socialism sucks and he gave this like rip roaring final statement. Where he's like, remember the country you are from. Like, remember, we spread this across the world. And like, and he's right. It is the British common law system spread to the United States, Canada, places like Hong Kong. I'm not saying the British Empire should be defended for every action. They shouldn't be. But the influence of the Brits on the world, in particular when it comes to prosperity and a free market capitalist system, is undeniable. And Hong Kong's been one of those places. And now, as people have enjoyed economic freedom, they want more basic civil rights. This whole thing in Hong Kong, correct me if I'm wrong, started, it was a extradition law they wanted to pass. Yeah, to China. So if you're accused of a crime in Hong Kong, they can extradite you to China, mainland China, and you If be, you're accused of a crime in China, living, and you live in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. I was under the impression that they could even... Ship you over to the mainland for whatever type of trial. It's probably both. Yeah. My understanding was a little bit different than yours. But obviously, given China's <clears throat> uh, <laughs> colorful history yeah. with uh, the, the poetry, the, the creativity of which they, they thrust certain actions on people. Hmm. That is to say, FCC would not like the words that I would normally use. Right. Well, they're authoritarian thugs. Mm -hmm. Is you know they're very polite. No, they're not. They're very polite to the rest of the world. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not. No. They've got their foot on everybody's throat with manufacturing. But they do it in such a polite way. Sure. sure. This is what I mean. They. You know, and I saw one article saying, "Stop calling President Xi president." Yeah, he's call, not president. Call, call him Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, well, he's... But he holds three titles, which essentially gives him the authoritarian power to be leader for life. He runs all these three right. major offices, like general... Uh, I'd have to look it up. I'm not deeply familiar with Chinese politics. Well, the whole for, for life thing uh, was recent. Yes. They just allowed that. But here's the interesting thing. As she... Jinping and the Communist Party have cracked down more on their society. After a couple decades of liberalizing reforms to the economy, their crackdowns have actually hurt their economy more. And as much as the trade war with the Trump administration is getting a lot of the headlines and is becoming very costly, uh, if Trump's whole strategy is always going to get China to relent like he did with Mexico and the EU... Good luck with that. If they don't relent, it does continue to cost Americans a lot of money. Tariffs are just taxes, folks. And not just any sorts of taxes. Yeah, it raises the cost of goods and services, but it definitely hurts people like farmers. Now the government's now going to step in and give farmers more support. Shouldn't be necessary in the first place. Um, it's, it's not working out, but I guess the Chinese are pressing the issue while the election's on the table. It's one thing they talk about all the time. Same with Russia and Putin, and I'm sure Kim Jong-un is factoring this into his negotiations. Is we do have these things called democratic elections in the United States, and 
foreign nations use those to their advantage. And I'm not just talking about direct interference. I mean, they see the writing on the wall. They're not stupid. If they could get a new administration in power that isn't going to be as tough on, say, trade, they'll they'll go for it. But the number one thing, it's a fascinating article, Troy, I read uh, from a friend of mine who works over at the Mises Institute in Auburn, Tho Bishop. He cited a, a larger book in this article he wrote where said the number one threat to China right now is not the trade war. It is a potential major banking crisis in China to where essentially the Chinese told all their provinces, okay, we want you to hit these GDP targets and we don't, we don't care how much debt you have to take out, how many government-sponsored entities you need to set up and then roll their debt off into this or that. The Chinese have had to step in now on two major provinces in their banks and they're just trying to prop this thing up. And you, we could see, essentially, folks, the mother of all bubbles bursting in China, not too far in the distant future, which would, of course, affect the Chinese. But, uh, yeah, fingers crossed, I agree. It would affect everybody in the world. But I think this regime in China needs a wake-up call. And if that happens, and it happens at their own hand, they'll try to blame all sorts of things. But I think the Chinese people are no idiots. And a nation that large and that diverse, you know, you can read up on it. Like, Beijing has pretty solid control over the north of China. Right. Culturally and economically. Certain parts, they have a little more cultural sway. Certain parts, they have a little more economic sway. But they've always had trouble with the southern provinces. So if they can't provide the, the bread and circuses to folks, if they can't provide continued growth... They've got a big, not just economic crisis on their hands, but political crisis on their hands. And if there is a major economic crisis, I could see places like Hong Kong and Taiwan saying, peace, we're not dealing with you guys anymore. And that's what I hope for. I just hope it doesn't cause massive bloodshed. Hong Kong's going to say, get Boris on the line. (laughs) Then they're going to call Boris and they're going to be like, oh my God. Boris, which Boris? Uh, Johnson. Oh, Bojo? Yeah. Yeah, what do you think of that guy, the new prime minister? Like, do you want a, an opinion? Or? Yeah, just whatever. No, he's a joke. You think so? Yeah. Why? But so is Trump. Okay, fair enough. But I I watched when Boris was named. Right. I watched an old BBC documentary on him. It was back a few years before where they thought he was going to be prime minister then. Yeah. When Tony, uh, was it, yeah, it was Tony Blair, or no, David Cameron was prime minister. And David Cameron and, and Boris Johnson go way back, went to school together, have been friends for a long time. Did they do the thing to the big's head together, or was that just Cameron? I bet you it's all of them. Yeah. It makes me wonder, we'll get to the Epstein stuff. I think I, that that's comment a good, definitely That's ties. a good segue into Epstein, but yeah, we'll right. get back to that. Yeah, I wonder how many just compromising things are on all these people because they decided to do the compromising things together as a sort of blood pact. What know? is what is the most compromising thing someone would have on you? On me? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. When I'm alone, poop with the door open. Really? Yeah, with it open. Do you not like your own brand? The smell of your own brand or something? Or Well, okay. So or how many times... I know what it is. Everybody likes a room with a view, Joey. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, when I'm in now in a master bedroom setup, I'll leave the door open. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there's... You know, it's, but I can it, shut the a, master bedroom door. Gotcha. But I can... It's like a master bedroom, 
the walk-in closet is a hallway to the bathroom, the master bathroom. Oh, so it's like an ensuite. Yes, an ensuite. Yes. Okay. No, but this thing about Boris Johnson, um, I think it was Conrad Black was one of the people they interviewed. They also interviewed Boris Johnson's sister. If you haven't seen it, Troy, or anybody out there listening, watch it. Because they don't give Boris a free pass. Like, one of the guys said, well, if I'm advising Boris, uh, Mr. Johnson... Um, before he becomes prime minister, I would tell him to lock his willy up. Because <laughs> he's notorious for all the... I don't think he's married anymore. He had like five or six affairs or whatever. But his sister gave the goods and they show the interview with her. And then they play back her interview with the documentarian to Boris Johnson. He's like, oh, damn. <laughs> like he's able to kind of throw off all the other comments pretty deftly. Uh, but his sister, he's like, she's giving the game away. Like, he wanted to be king of all the world when he was a boy. Right. And the thing about him is he he's different than Trump. He's very different than Trump, Trump watching this. He, they yeah. might look similar in these sorts of things, but if, number one thing I see different than Trump is the, the buffoonery and the persona is common. Trump is, it's almost like the clear American-British divide. Trump is... Yeah. I'm full of myself. He's I'm boisterous. the best. Yes, I'm boisterous. I'm the best. I'm, I'm overconfident. I, I alone can fix it. Whereas Boris Johnson is always self-deprecating. Like, I don't know. Well, we're going to try to figure this out. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. And it's, that's what he does. All these scandals, he sort of laughs them off. Like, nah. And now his line is, I don't want to talk about my private life. And for some reason, the British press talk about it, but don't they give him a pass after he gives them that line. Well, yeah, because... He, oh, gosh, what's the prime minister's address? Uh, Westminster? It's not 21 Jump Street. No. <laughs> uh, it, 12 Westminster? Maybe? Yeah, something like that. Um, it, anyway, once you get in there, um, unless something really scandalous comes out, I mean, let, let's face he's He's played party to the Daily Mail for a while, so unless the sun starts to attack him, and the sun is is widely hated in at least one major city in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, Liverpool, um, unless the Daily Mail turns on him, he's going to continue to get a pass. Now, the general public, they hate him. Yeah. It, that self-deprecation that you spoke of, mm-hmm. it's what the general public's doing. And they're, they're not going to come out and say it because they're English and... Right, they exactly. They would rather be quiet. But there's a lot of tutting going mm-hmm. on, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that, Boris. Uh, I, I realize that me saying that he's a joke is probably not going to be very popular. And then also saying Donald Trump is a joke is not going to be very yeah. popular. That's not to say that they're... Are you running for office? No. Are you looking at office? That's not to say that they're not intelligent men. Right. And there's a reason why they're in the positions that they're in. Right. But... There's also a reason why they're in the positions that they're in. Oh, yeah. No, I think, number one, I I call this after Trump called the program on the station, the Dan Moore Show. And I'm the one who picked up the phone, and it was Hope Hicks on the other end of the line. She's like, how many minutes out? And I'm like, two minutes. She's like, okay, tell me when it's one minute. Mr. Trump's a very busy man. Like, no crap, Sherlock. Like, I know that. That's why I'm ready to go. Thank you for... I didn't realize it was Hope Hicks at the time. Now I'm like... Man, Joe, you had two minutes. You had two minutes to charm her. You idiot. <laughs> For even thinking that. But when he came on, it hit me. Why Donald Trump plays so hard 
in this country. He sounds, especially with conservatives, he sounds like a talk radio caller. Yeah. He is talk radio. He is, for all intents and purposes, Donnie from Queens. Did like, he, so when he tweeted out the thing on Epstein and the Clinton kill list or were they... Well, please. You know, it's all ongoing, but here's my perspective. I've been hearing that crap about the Clinton suicide list. Yeah. As since I jumped into talk radio and conservative talk radio. Yeah. So for Donald Trump to retweet that, I'm like, yeah, Donnie from Queens again. Yep. Just call it in. The things that he's very good at, he's very, very good at. Mm -hmm. Like, his use of memetics is astounding. It's amazing. The whole, uh, what was his name for Elizabeth Warren? Pocahontas. And all of the presidential candidates, or the Republican candidates. Uh, There was uh, Lion Ted, one of my favorites. He holds the Bible high, then he lies, lies, lies. Okay, that's pretty. It's perfect. Low energy jab. It's perfect. He's very good at all this. Um, Lil Marco, just... You're little. And Marco Rubio, unfortunately, said, okay, Big Don. And as soon as Rubio said Big Don, he realized he had made a mistake in the debate. It's like, oh, my God. How did I fall into this? Little Marco, little Marco, little Marco. Stop it, Big Don. Oh, no. Yeah. I just played right into his trap. Crooked Hillary, which is a brilliant label. For Sleepy Joe, pretty good label. Because I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, I find Trump very entertaining. I don't love everything the man does. No. Obviously, and that's an understatement. But I don't want to admit sometimes how good he is at what you're talking about, the memetics. He's it's he's a master at it. So when he called Joe Biden Sleepy Joe, I watched, I was like, okay, why not call him Creepy Joe? Because of the hair sniffing and rubbing young women's shoulders and stuff. No, I'm going with Sleepy. I'm watching the first Democratic debate that Joe Biden's in, and I'm like... Damn it! He looks sleepy! <laughs> it's, it's perfect. <laughs> so he's very good at that. And also, um, there's a YouTube channel called Charisma on Command. I'll reveal my sources. And he's done a lot of analysis of all sorts of different people. But in particular, through the 2016 campaign, he was right along tracking a lot, right along with uh, Scott Adams of why Trump is going to win this thing. From not a policy point of view or, you know, right or wrong, whatever, just a persuasion point of view. And he said that Trump is a brilliant player of the media. How do you keep your name and your narrative the top narrative in the media? And the big lesson is this. Even if you don't do anything, like you try to be the most even keel and presidential, the media needs something that's outrageous to sell their viewers Mm -hmm. and their listeners. So, they'll take even the most benign, even keel stuff and amp it up or take it out of context or whatever. An example with Barack Obama's, you didn't build that. Well, he was talking about the businesses not building infrastructure, which is still a stupid thing to say because businesses are taxed, but he wasn't saying literally you didn't build your business, which is how a lot of Republicans played it and took it and understood what he said, which was not right. There's a clip of Trump saying, oh, we're rounding up all these people coming in. They're animals. They're not even humans. You see the full clip. It's a woman asking, what are we doing about MS-13? It's like, okay. But the media played it. He's talking about all immigrants. So. And it, it's, that's a 100% accurate assessment. MS-13, they are animals. Yes, they are. They should be dealt with. So. What Trump does is realizing the media is going to 
do this, whether you say something crazy or not, is I'm going to give them crazy. And I'm going to give them the crazy either as a distraction from something I don't want people to talk about or to get the conversation going yeah. on something I do want them to talk about. Even if that conversation, it's almost like an opening bid in a negotiation. You know you're not going to get $20,000 for that BMW you're selling, but I'm just going to throw it out there. It's nuts. The effect, and let me be clear, folks, it works. It works very well. But the effect on our political culture, I'm not sure if it's a good thing. And I don't know if I lay, it, lay the blame all at Donald Trump's feet because uh, Andrew Yang at the last presidential debate made his closing statement was spot on. He's like, I'm up here with all these plans and I have a unique vision for the country or where I want to take it. But what was the media talking about? After the last debate, they're talking about, I didn't have a tie on. So we're up here trying to get our sound bites with makeup on our faces and this reality show. And maybe that's why we got a reality TV star as president. And there's a deeper point than just a dig at Trump. Is I, the other day, I, had, couldn't, I, I tolerated it. I watched a little bit of Bernie Sanders on Joe Rogan. And Rogan asked him straight up, what do you think about these debates that you're in? Oh, it's a huge disservice, Joe. It's just we're looking for sound bites. We can't really uh, lay out our policies in the way we want. By the way, Troy and I are in the dark. I turned off all the lights. So I can... I tried to... I like Bernie when he's actually low-key, not yelling. Yeah. Because he's... Uh, you know, Troy, you asked me, do I believe in God? I, uh, I believe in people. Okay? The people. Not just people. The people. That's such a rabbi answer. It really is. <laughs> So I think the whole media complex, the way they report news, the way they play the political game, yeah. and to a degree, and this uh, charisma and command guy made the point, it's like, if you want to figure out who's causing all this, look in the mirror. When you set up a series of structures, I'm talking about the media here, the fourth estate, if you will, although I don't really consider television to be part of the fourth estate. If... If, when you set up a series of structures, like the 24-hour news cycle, you should not be surprised when somebody comes along and exploits it. Now, Donald has done a, a really good job here, and I'm not a big fan of this. He's done a really good job of taking notes out of Russia's playbook, Cold War Russia, the USSR, with how to handle things. And he, when he does something that, in my opinion, is particularly heinous... For the next three days, there will be something completely different and completely as asinine coming out of his mouth or his Twitter feed. He's doing it on purpose. He's doing it on purpose, and honestly, it's exhausting. And mm -hmm. that's the entire point. Yes. Exhaust the truth, exhaust the fact checkers, mm -hmm. and exhaust the people on the left and the right. If your supporters are going to support you no matter what, all you've got to do is make sure the people that are trying to shout you down get tired of shouting you down because you give them too much to talk about. Uh, and that they're not the ones driving the narrative. Correct. Well, and, the, and let's be clear. This is not like unique, and this was also in that video I watched. This is not unique to Donald Trump. What's unique is the new media environment. Yeah. And he does it at an uber level. Uh, can you imagine if Obama was half as good at what Trump does? No. The right would... Well, no, but... They would be frothing at the mouth. I would say Obama used the media structures in a slightly different way, but he used them just as effectively. And if you look... Think about Barack Obama, constitutional law professor, all this stuff. Yeah. 
and I've seen off the book kind of early interviews before he was running for president. He on his campaign and at his State of the Union addresses, it's an eighth grade reading level. It's very much bumper sticker, symbolic logic, mm-hmm. emotional appeals, and he played the media brilliantly. Uh, same with W in his debates. He maybe wasn't always the smartest guy on every detail of policy, and he'd have all these faux pas where he couldn't think of the right thing to say. But sort of, it's actually he's similar to Boris Johnson. It's sort of this aw shucks guy that yeah. you want to have a beer with. Ah, oh, well, there's W saying something a little funny, but it's funny. Yeah, it's like, okay, he's a normal guy. Bill Clinton brilliantly played the media. Brilliantly. H.W. Bush was more ushered in by Ronald Reagan, who was not only an actor, Hollywood actor, an incredibly good-looking man even in his older age. Well, he became, uh, that's, I guess, subjective. <laughs> but I'm just trying to sell my own theory that the best-looking candidate wins. Gotcha. But... Uh, he also really cut his teeth on speaking tours for General Electric after his acting career kind of subsided. So he got really good at talking to people through a camera and in person. He was an amazing campaigner in that regard, Reagan was. And, and a lot of it was intuitive on his part. Uh, there's a reason that whole let Reagan be Reagan thing came out of the Reagan camp. It's because when they tried to control him too much, it didn't work. No, just let him be him because he's developed these, this instinct for persuading and reaching people. It was the reason he was called the great communicator. And if you go all the way back, first televised debate between JFK and Nixon, people who listened to the debate on radio thought Nixon won. People who watched the debate on television said JFK won. Jack is the winner. And it's because Jack Kennedy, number one, looked better. Like, he looked like he was ready to be in front of the lights. His hair was perfectly coiffed. He had this youthful enthusiasm, enthusiasm and you know vigor and vitality to him, where Nixon looked like he was sweating all over the place. And it was, because it's hot TV studio lights. Yeah. He's sweating, he's going to... He's not trying to project like you're being seen. The wax starts to melt. And there are people probably before the television age who knew how to work the media. This has been... My point is this has been going on for a while. Yeah, FDR or, did it with the muckrakers. Yeah, and with radio. The fireside chat. Uh, and that was very powerful. Hell, I've, you know, you, in more chilling respects, think of how totalitarians use new media structures. I mean, there are moments where, like, if you go find old footage of Hitler, like, this is the first time these microphones, these things I'm just tapping here, are really being used. Yeah. And so not only is he speaking in front of a crowd at night, using fire, using these huge spotlights to be shot up into the sky to give this backdrop on the stage. When you watch these old speeches, folks, you can see this microphone in front of them that's being broadcast to millions of Germans. And when you watch those things, you, and you keep in mind this is new technology, it's almost like magic to a lot of people, How number one, how astounding it is, and how evil it is. It's like just seeing evil rear its head in that very powerful, seductive way. Because let's put it this way. Somebody brought it up to me as racism with the shooting in El Paso. is racism and mental illness. Like, no. It's wrong. It's evil. It's stupid. But it's not necessarily mental illness. And when whole nations are possessed by certain ideologies, it doesn't mean everybody in that population is crazy. And I think it is dangerous to write off people like Hitler, like Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot is just crazy. 
no, these are they're evil, no doubt, but they're not exactly dummies, and they're not exactly I don't know. I you could probably go a long way to say Hitler was crazy, and the greatest weakness of the Nazi army was their ideology. There was a there's a great like short. It's amazing that short Dan Carlin podcast on this, where he war games. Is it the? Is it two hours and fifteen minutes? Yeah, it's like two hours long. That's a short. That's a short Dan Carlin. Episode. Yeah, it's. I think it's called like I, I can't remember, but it's he war games the World War One German army against the World War Two Nazi army, and he starts off with a big throat clearing and disclaimer that of course by the time World War One comes around, technology is making the difference monthly within that war. Right. And so, you you know, fast forward 10, 20 years, of course, technologically speaking, the World War II Nazi army has more powerful weaponry and tactics than the World War I German army and military. But the greatest weakness, and this is why he said, I give the edge to the First World War Germans, is that ideology overtook the Nazis. In the sense that you appointed people to run the army, to run the Air Force, to run different aspects of industry that were ideological purists, not necessarily the people best fit who actually had the expertise to run those things. Right. So it leads to very stupid decision making, and no matter your technological prowess. And so I, I don't know. I just feel like we can't just completely write things off as crazy. What we can do with things like mass shooters, with things like people who are caught up and persuaded by people like Hitler and Mao or anybody else is that sometimes people are dealing with uh, mental challenges and it could be something that is I'm not just talking about something that is directly diagnosed like it's a a clear like case of psychopathy or narcissism or whatever it could be somebody's substance abuse it could be uh, somebody's just completely without and lonely. Maybe they don't have friends and like their whole family dies or something like that. Those people are ripe for a vicious, evil ideology to step in and go, hey, I'll give you some purpose and meaning in life if you just follow this. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what's happening on 4chan, 8chan. It'll be something new. What's the difference between that and that same ripeness being picked by the police the police yeah oh like you're gonna have to give me more specifics because rather rather than becoming a mass shooter Mm -hmm. they become a police officer oh yeah well or they i mean here's my point is that people can be down and out like i just said substance abuse all these things and a good ideology could actually help them i'm i'm not saying it's a good idea fair enough but a good a good one can too yeah, or a certain, absolutely a certain profession the can take them up yeah well, well the priesthood the military the police i mean it could be firefighter whatever. emt or you might follow marianne williamson on her crystals you know a course in miracles yeah whatever self-help when you are down and out you're either going to give into despair or something will give you meaning and purpose. That something that steps in can either be, uh, use, using this word technically, downright sinful. It just misses the mark completely. It's going to leave you to lead you to more destructive behavior, lead you to more despair really in the end, and maybe the author of it yourself, or it's going to help you get out of your funk and out of your groove and you, well, and you, you improve your life. You see it with groups like Proud Boys and on the opposite end of the spectrum, Antifa. Yeah. Exactly. Both of those take people that 
as you mentioned, are ripe for the picking. Yes. Whether they're missing something from their life or they need, they're angry and they need it focused at something, both of those organizations will focus that anger, right, rightfully or wrongfully. They, they will do that, and they do a very good job of doing that. Yes, absolutely. And I, something like the Proud Boys is amazing, the, the genesis of that. Or it starts as, like, I think Gavin McGinnis is running, doing some talk show that he's normally been doing. And it starts off, like, picking on one of their producers. Yeah. And so it becomes this joke thing. And, like, you can be part of the Proud Boys and some just stupid, like, stop masturbating so much so you actually, you know, will be interested in your wife. That's sort of just crap. And it, it morphs into, you can, I don't think it's completely reactionary. Some say it's just because Antifa took them on that it radicalized the Proud Boys. I don't know if I completely buy that. They were, they, were, they were radicalized the moment they started bullying and believing and bullying. Yes. So, it, but even, they're at the point that even Gavin stepped back and went, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. What and, are y'all and doing? For him to do that, something... This it's kind of mo- like Ed Norton in Fight Club. This little monster that he created has has grown into something he can't control. No. no and you're exactly right. It's Ed Norton in Fight Club. It's, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, gosh, Lord of the Flies. Yes. Yes, exactly. I've got the conk. No, I do. No, and it's, am- it's amazing how these movements sort of, they can take on a life of their own. So sometimes people need to be a little careful with their rhetoric. Just a little bit careful. Now, I, that's why I see, when I see the left, and even on the right, I see people, like, warning about normalizing behavior. Mm-hmm. I, I hear the word normalizing a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the way they're saying, we don't want you to normalize this language, for me, it makes a lot of sense. I, I see it now. Like, before, I was like, you're being ridiculous. Don't. Stop talking about the whole snowflake thing. Like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. But I see El Paso. I see Dayton. Mm -hmm. I see all of these things happening. And obviously, saying um, racist things is not going to make somebody become a racist mass shooter. But it's part and parcel of it. Well, it's part of kind of the toxic brew that's out there. Well, no, again, let's again make that... Do we not have a responsibility... To people outside of ourselves, yeah. So we do, but I'm not going to tell you what to say or what to do with your life. I can, however, control what I say and what I do with sure. my life. And so, personally, I'm not going to contribute to normalizing radical behaviors. Right. Does that make it, sense? It does. But I want to make a clear distinction that you just made. But I want to make it again. Sure. Just because Bernie Sanders has said radical things, like millions of people will die because of Republican health care plans or whatever, yeah, it doesn't mean Bernie is responsible for the guy who went and shot up the congressman at the baseball field. No, that guy is himself responsible yes, for it. exactly. However, and this is where I think I'm taking it a step farther than you, however, the very nature of that discourse... How, how, yes, it riles people's emotions up. It's yes. provocative. Yes. And for the normal person, you just get a little pissed off. You throw something at your TV. Sure. You call into talk radio, rant about it. Do but you watch Fox? And when you watch Fox, uh, particularly, also, also Hannity is mm-hmm. really good about <laughs> getting the people going, so to yeah, speak. Right. The things that he says, frankly, on the surface are rather normal. Yeah. But 
when constructing a narrative, it's hateful. It's I, I'll say it's bad for the country. And I'll say the same thing with a lot of the beep on Morning Joe. Oh, good or Lord. any of the stuff on MSNBC. I don't even consider CNN a news organization anymore. Yeah, but, you know, that word, and let me, help me analyze this, because we're running out of time. With it, like, that word hateful. Like, it's used so often. Yeah. That it doesn't... It doesn't sting in the same way. I know what you're talking about. It well, inspires... Okay, so the, I've been talking for the last few weeks about, I would say, partisan bigotry. Just utter intolerance of the other side. Right. And I would say, yeah, it can be a hateful posture towards people with different points of view. Hey, and there's a role for that. There's a role to be hateful, say, against Nazis. Maybe yes. maybe we'll use a music term instead of hateful. It's It's got a staccato. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just hitting a note on the keyboard, you're hitting... The right. note on the keyboard. Right. It's it, it purposely riling people up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's it's even the words that are meant, basic words in English that are meant to designate something that have been used so much that it's like, what are you doing? You're stretching that way too far. Yeah. It, it will be like a boy who cried wolf effect, but it won't just be a wolf actually coming out of the woods. It'll be like a freaking dragon. Here's my concern. There's going to be another mass shooting, and it's going to be oh, yeah. some crazy white supremacist guy, and he's going to post a manifesto, not unlike the El Paso shooter. Right. And in this manifesto, it's just going to be a series of Donald Trump tweets. Mm. Now, if let's say you're Donald Trump and you see those tweets and that guy's like, he's saying that's the reason why that happens. Do you feel bad? Do you, do you think maybe in... The act of trying to manipulate your constituents into getting out and voting and being emotional in their support. Do you think that maybe you took it too far? Because there's been some times where I feel like Trump has taken it too far. Not not talking about the whole frothing that the left does whenever he speaks at all. Well, I they, mean, just on the surface. Right. I, I I don't know. It's a hard line to uh, draw, actually. I'm answering honestly. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't think Trump ever wanted somebody to shoot up Walmart in El Paso. No. Um, so it, he might just be, it might be heartbroken, it might be annoyed. It, it might be simple emotions like, oh God, I've got to deal with this in a political sense. Yeah. I don't know how he would react to that. Um, well, after Charlottesville, when he called them very fine people. Yeah. Somebody killed a person. Yeah. What? I, I don't know. I'll, I'm being honest here. When I heard him say that, I didn't hear him saying, yeah, that guy ran over is a great guy, a very fine person. He was talking about the other people that didn't run over somebody? I, I think he was talking about just kind of your average person. Like, I probably know a few who, if they wanted to take down, like, Confederate, the first White House of the Confederacy would be out there protesting. Yeah. And then there are some really bad people that also jump out into those protests. I get it. The, and this is the, the the game that is being played is we have to stop it defining ourselves and defining the mainstream political system as much as it contributes to the extremes. Stop defining it by the extremes. Because the problem is the more I look at both sides, the more I'm seeing that one side is not right. Hmm. No, I, I look at both sides and I go, both sides aren't right. On balance, both sides are equally not as right. Yeah. Okay. That's how I feel about it. 
that's that's a little more cynical than me. Yeah, I, I think they. Um, well, for instance, on things like immigration, I don't think the Democrats are going to do anything different. No, anything. No, on a lot of the. But it gets the people going. Yeah. Well, I think also the response, like the call-out culture, gets people going. Well, and who had actual? Who had an actual white nationalist, white supremacist on their airwaves? We don't talk about normalizing and enabling and giving somebody a platform. Richard Spencer wasn't on Fox News. He wasn't on any of these other shows. He was on CNN. It's true. So CNN, I know everybody knows what CNN's doing. Oh, let's bring on an actual white nationalist to tell us how much he loves Trump, but then he'll wink that I don't actually love Trump. But I do like this. So now everybody that might vote for Donald Trump is also supporting Richard Spencer. It's like this weird package deal double bind game where you're like, no, I like low taxes and pro-life people in the Supreme Court. Yeah. What, uh, gosh, what's it called? Uh, cultural fear? Um, to be called a racist simply because I voted for Donald Trump is... Which is essentially what Beto, man, came out and said today. It's, it's frankly annoying. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it's... But then again, at the same time, because of his actions... I'm certainly not going to tell... Well, okay, I've said it over the air. I voted for Donald Trump, but I'm not going to go out of my way to tell it. I just did. Damn. Um, See, I didn't even... You didn't vote. No. No, I did. And I, voted, I didn't vote for president. I voted for Donald Trump. Right. And so far, he's done like three things that I'm actually proud of. <laughs> now, but then in, the when previous, you look at- in the previous election, I did not vote for Obama. Right. Either time. Right, I didn't either. So, but if you look at your alternatives now... I okay. should have not voted at all, Joey, because I would have rather... Right. I would rather hurt myself than I, vote I for actually Hillary can Clinton. really relate to where you're, you're coming from. And here's the thing. All the Democrats need to do is not put up somebody who's crazy and as unlikable as, say, Hillary was the last time. Are they accomplishing that goal so far, watching the primaries? No. Yeah. They're not. And so it's just the problem crazy. is the problem is you got that pack of mean girls. Why can't they all run the as one? Yeah, a, a, a chimera. You know? Uh, no. But here's the one thing that has brought everybody in the United States together: the crazy left, the crazy right, the more sensible left, and the more sensible right. Everybody, and we only have two minutes to do this, but everybody. This was my reaction. When the news on Saturday broke that Jeffrey Epstein is dead, I was like, oh, like that Picard meme. Oh, come on. I woke up and read it. And when I woke up and read that, I said the same thing. I was, Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, come on, man. Because they had just unsealed those court documents from a fast lawsuit. Yeah. More were going to come. And other lawsuits. You know, They're was- naming names. And all of a sudden, oh, he just kills himself. Give me a break. I was explaining it to somebody. And when I brought up I think it's Jazane. I yeah. had I had to that's Maxwell. The yeah. first time in my life I had to say no relation. <laughs> and she You know, you read you read the physics principles mm-hmm. and there's a there's a Maxwell's equation. Of course I'm related yeah, to that. Of guy. course you are. You come Jazane, from great stuff. Not related to that person. Man, but and I, the I'm song by ELO Woman. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And you talk about a guy who was, he was in all sorts of circles. Like, what the hell? No wonder he was being groomed by Mossad. Yeah. Which I is what she was. She was Mossad. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm sure, was 
caught multiple times, and multiple times it was by some big three-letter government agency, and they were all like, okay, yeah, you're our asset now. Yeah, exactly. And so here's the thing. He's now suicided himself. Yeah. I'm purposely saying that. Did, uh, they, did they mention the method of death? Hanging. Hanging? Mm-hmm. By, with also two bullets to the back of the head? Oh, did he, did he have bullets in his head? No. Oh, okay. No, but that's... I've seen Russian suicides before. Or maybe it was like Shuger. He just used the, the cattle... The air gun. Like, yeah. Like, they kill cattle with? Yeah. Well, what's or, weird is the, uh, the person they came in to observe the body is the same guy that did JFK. The same guy that did... Um, <laughs> I think it was O.J. Simpson's mistress. So, uh, any official people out there like, oh, you and your conspiracy theories. This is how you get conspiracy theories. This, this isn't This isn't even a conspiracy no, theory it's just yet. plain as day what happened. Yeah. You killed him. He was about to out your whole cabal and you killed him. Well, the, 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 or you asked him to kill himself. The most interesting part about this, and I, I mentioned this before we went, we went on air, is to see who's shouting the loudest about this. Because I guarantee you they are connected in some way. Yeah. Trump pointing to the Clintons. Okay. You're also connected to Epstein, Trump. Yeah, sure, you banned him from your place in Florida, but then you let him back in two weeks later. What's that about, bud? And then he was at Chelsea Clinton's wedding? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and he's involved in all these scientists we know, too. And Oh, man. They want to call him a serial philanderer. <laughs> 